Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, welcome to Pitch Talks. Right here, Catch Brewery in Astoria. My name is Jason Pateri. I am the event producer for the evening. I'm really, really excited that you all could join us tonight. This is our first show in uh, Astoria in Queens. And this is our fourth show overall in New York. So I'm really excited. Uh, just in case you guys are not too familiar with us, we started up in Toronto, Canada by our founder, Kevin Kennedy. Uh, they're doing a great job up there. But we all know if something has to be successful, you have to come to New York, baby. So let's do this. All right. Uh, first, I want to I extend a, a thank you to uh, Katie Spites and uh, Matt English. Without them, uh, they've been very, very important. So without them, the show wouldn't go on. So I really appreciate that. All right. Listen, the Mets have lost two in a row. The Nationals have won two in a row. Nobody can utter collapse in this room tonight. We're not doing it. We're not doing it, folks. This team is too good. There's too, uh, the pitching is too good. There's too many storylines to talk about tonight, so we're not doing that. We got Cespedes. He's doing great. He has 17 home runs since they acquired him. He's been awesome. Matt Harvey, the innings limit controversy. It's ridiculous. We all know that. Um, but we can talk about that. Jacob deGrom. 
Uh, David Wright's healthy, so this is it's going to be really exciting. Uh, the Yankee series is coming up here uh, tomorrow at City Field, ready to sweep them. We all know that, so um, there's a lot to be uh, there's a lot to be talked about tonight. Let me uh, let me introduce the three panelists first. Uh, the three panels, rather. Um, once we do that, we can get the the show on the road here. The first panel is the amazing uh, Amazing Avenue Audio. It's a podcast. We're going to do a live podcast here tonight. Um, Jeff Paternostro, Greg Karam do a great job over there at the blog Amazing Avenue. You're going to have two guests, Maggie Wigan from Mets Blog, Toby Hyde from Mostly Mets Podcast, and SMY.TV. I'm really excited for those guys to be here. Our second panel uh, is going to be the radio guys. Eddie Coleman from WFN, longtime Mets reporter, Eddie Coleman. Also, Pete McCarthy from, uh, from WOR Radio. He's a show from 7 to 10 p.m. every single night. Definitely check it out. He's here as well. They're both first-timers, so I'm really excited for them to be here. <laughs> Pete also lives in the area, Astoria. Uh, listen, anybody wants to come by afterwards, they're going to serve coffee and cake, so you're more than welcome to stop by. Absolutely. And our third panel, I'm really excited for them to, to join us once again, is Mark Carrick from Newsday and Anthony Tacoma from MLB.com. They were with us back, they were with us back in, uh, in May at BB Kings in Manhattan. They were awesome, so I'm really glad that they're back. So without further ado, let's give a round of applause for the Amazing Avenue Audio Podcast. Three mics for four people. This is gonna be really awkward. All right, all right, seats. Oh my God! Just so I can gauge before we get started, how many people in the audience have actually listened to the show before? Okay, one. So I think there's probably at least another 10% that won't admit it publicly, which is probably balanced out by the Amazing Avenue writers that I know are here that are lying, that they've actually listened to it. But salutations, Mets fans! Welcome to another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. With me this week is Greg Karam, Maggie Wigan from Mets Blog, Toby Hyde from Mostly Mets Podcast, and Mets Minor League Blog. So in that spirit of a sort of like a, a crossover edition, really, you know, SB Nation and SNY, Mostly Mets and Amazing Avenue Audio, I'll start, as I always do, with an opening question, shamelessly ripped off from the English soccer podcast, The Football Ramble, so, in the spirit of a crossover, what TV show, past or present, would you like to see the 2015 Mets guest star on in one of those, like, homicide, law and order, or heart-to-heart and magnum P.I. type crossover events? Uh, so, the first thing is, potentially, Lucas Duda, L- Lucas Duda on one of my all-time favorites on Kids in the Hall. <laughs> <laughs> It would be bizarre and perfect. So we have a rule that you can't answer these questions with Lucas Duda anymore because okay. the answer right. to every right, well, right, every right. clever question about the 2015 Mets that I come up with, it's only it's always only funny if you answer Lucas Duda. Like, who would be a serial killer? Lucas Duda. <laughs> who would be, you know, what should Lucas Duda in Japan, do in Japan? Well, anything. It's funny. Sumo wrestling. Go to the Holocaust Museum, I think, was Rob's idea. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, you know, he's got, like, he gets really into it, though. He has, like, the little guided tour with the headphones and... I said Holocaust Museum. I meant the Hiroshima Museum. Would be well, well, the other obvious one is put you on a Cespedes on The Walking Dead. To yeah, see yeah. How far he can get. Yeah, how far he can get, yeah. That's a good one. I like that better than the Lucas Duda one. Maggie. All right, I think this is probably because I'm hungry, but Top Chef. 
because um, of the, the drama, the interpersonal drama, and then the interstitials where they all get drunk waiting for the judging results because then all of the gloves come off and they start telling like all of the dark secrets and and I would love to hear like drunk Juan Uribe um, talking about like what happened in the clubhouse last week. I feel like that that is what we all want to know. Thanks. Uh, well, I, I think that in light of recent events uh, in the Miami series with uh, the guys getting beaned and who's retaliating, who's not retaliating. I think a crossover with The Sopranos would be nice. They could meet uh, Tom Kohler in the parking lot with a little, you know, maybe a lead pipe, you know, something like that. Uh, and then, or, or I could picture them sitting in the clubhouse, maybe like Silvio, Paulie Walnuts, and David Wright watching a football game or something like that. And uh, Uribe comes in because we know he doesn't like football, and he'll come in and turn it off, and then he'll be like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, you know, I just think for the comedy's sake it would be good. Team does lack any good Goombas right now, though. I can say that as a Goomba myself. Um, so I, I'm going for, uh, I, I think I'm crossing over sort of the 80s, one of the classic sort of 80s comedy, maybe like a Mr. Belvedere or uh, Charles in Charge, something like that. Because the one thing about the 2015 Mets has certainly been you get this conflict at the beginning of the episode, or the beginning of the game, if you will, but it's all wrapped up in the last five minutes. You get back to the status quo, the Mets win another baseball game. And you can also do a very special episode where uh, Mr. Belvedere teaches Lucas Duda how to read. <laughs> I, th I, thought, I thought Lucas Duda was off limits. Yeah, yeah, I'm the host. I can make up my own rules. <laughs> this episode 139 of Amazing Avenue Audio. I can't believe we've done this many of them. We are live at Pitch Talks, the Catch Brewery in Astoria. And uh, so they asked us to do a prospect and minor league panel, which is good now that the Mets are seven and a half up. I realized a couple weeks ago... If I came in here and they, you know, they get lost two out of three of the Nationals or it was close, like they're only up one or two games going to the Yankees series, all of a sudden I'm like, let's talk about Brandon Nimmo and Ahmed Rosario. You would all kill me. <laughs> Fortunately, uh, that hasn't happened. They're seven and a half up with 16 and a half to play. I guess you want to do the math. So we can talk a little about prospects. I do want to start with the prospects that have graduated, that have made an impact on this 2015 team, and there's plenty of them. And I'm going to start with the guy that was number one on our midseason list, uh, and that's Michael Conforto, who, has, who I saw in the spring for the B-Mets in uh, June and, well, June and May and June, June and July, somewhere in there. It's all a blur. It's the end of the minor league season. I'm basically exhausted. But the thing for me is, and there were a lot of reports were coming out on Conforto at the time. Um, apparently, and I'll start with you, Toby, uh, they were all low. <laughs> Quite low. Uh, is there a question, or is that no, that's no, not really a um, question? That was a statement. Yeah, fact. I think um, I saw him in Brooklyn last year, and I, I missed him this spring. Um, I think the simplest uh, answer to the non-question is that he's he improved, yeah. um, and you know even New York Penn League pitchers were able to get inside on him last year with fastballs, and you don't see a lot of pitchers doing that anymore. Um, he sort of had this weird, a lot of guys in college had this weird metal bat swing, and he sort of figured something out in terms of his hand path um, on a hitting mechanics level. So I think the, 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 the simplest answer is that's a guy who got better um, pretty quickly, and that's not something that you necessarily want to predict or plan on um, when you're evaluating a guy. When you, look at it, when you look at a player, you say, this is what he can do now. If, it's, if he's really young, if he's Ahmed Rosario, we'll get to him, I'm sure, in a little bit. You say, this is where he'll grow, this is where he won't grow, this is what will make him better or worse. But 
Conforto got better in a hurry, and um, I didn't quite think he would be this good this fast. I didn't I didn't know he would ever, ever be this good, actually, given what he's done this summer. Um, he's been great. So that's um, certainly a nice surprise. I mean, you just have to like everything that you see about him. Um, there were there were some rumblings that he was a liability in the outfield, or at least um, average, and you know. It's, it's early to tell on the numbers, but the numbers in the eye test don't disagree here. You know, he's, he's solid at worst. And I actually, I really like his arm. Um, and I don't know if this is a move that they want to make during the season, but I would put him in right in the off season for some workouts and just see if that's something he can do because Lord knows we don't want Curtis Granderson there any longer than it needs to be. Um, but but I, I really, I like that, um, that you're not giving anything up in the field to get that bat and because the, the bat is legit and I there's nothing that we're seeing that is like you know that is a mirage he's he's just he's everything anybody could have hoped for um the only person who predicted this was was Keith Law oh that's 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 tap the rake there please Squirrel situation or not? <laughs> no, no. I mean, um, Law said he was a first baseman <laughs> at draft time. <laughs> but he also said he would be in the majors uh, by the end of 2015 and got laughed at. And I, I, I may, I may have brought that up in my MLB Network appearance and said it would never happen. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here we are. Here we are talking and about Michael so Conforto. But, Boy, howdy, aren't we grateful? No, but for that. but you make a good point though about his arm. I mean, it's not great. Like it doesn't. He's not going to confuse. No one's going to confuse him with peak Sean Dunstan, right? He doesn't have an absolute rocket, but it plays up because he's more accurate it's than incredibly accurate than most other guys. Certainly with his actual arm strength, and and really more than than almost anybody else. Um, so it's again, it's, it doesn't grade great, but it it really plays up as as the scouts say. I think the thing that the reason I came in low, and I'm going to come in low on him, and that's fine. That's the way it goes. When I saw him in Binghamton. It looked really good. It looked like a major leaguer, a guy that could help, certainly help the team by the end of the year. The thing that stood out to me was he had a really good approach. And when you say that, he had a really good approach. He took major league quality at bats in AA, which you just don't see. But when pitchers at that level fell behind, you know, 1-0, 2-1, they would throw him off speed stuff, and he'd, he'd gear up to try to hit it out of the park. And that's something you can do in AA. You don't see in A-ball. You don't see in the Penn League. You certainly don't see in the Pac-12. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, it's a 2-1 changeup, and you look stupid. And I figured that would continue to happen. That was an adjustment you would have to make at that level. You would have to make it higher levels and subsequent levels, and eventually in the majors. And if you look, the first week he was up, they threw him fastballs, and he hit them. And they started to make that adjustment to him. He started to see off-speed early every pitch in the county. He'd see, come up and see four curveballs. We all watched the game. We saw Keith talking about how they were pitching him like a veteran. And he made that adjustment at the major league level, in two weeks. <laughs> and it's just, you, you can't, it, that was always in there. I mean, he's hitting roughly like I thought he would hit at his peak. He's 22 years old. He's an average to probably a little bit above left fielder. Above now, given where uh, offensive yeah. levels are, right? Yeah. Um, that is an impact major league player. For, 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 to be frank, and we'll get to this a little bit later, an organization that has not developed really any bats internally and now he's going to be you know he's a number you know it's you're in a playoff lineup he's starting number three number three in the lineup for me i think you said it keith (laughs) yeah yeah. everyone's a number three hitter um i guess we should move on to the arms uh syndergaard and mats 
And what more is there to say? They both graduated this year. Oh, Matt's hasn't graduated, which is... They changed the rules on me, which I'm not happy about. It used to be that if you were on the Major League DL, it counted for rookie eligibility. And as prospect guys, we use rookie eligibility as sort of our standard for prospect list. Since Matt spent most of the season on the DL, he doesn't get off on days of service time or innings pitch. This is all really interesting to all of you, I'm sure. But we'll, we'll count Matt's and Syndergaard here. Going forward, and we'll look through sort of September and October and into next season, are either or both starting for you in the playoffs? Yes. Both? Um, yeah, why not? I mean, don't you have more trust in Syndergaard and Matt's um, than, than Nice and Bartolo at this point? I, I mean, we can take a poll. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you, know, you know Harvey's going to start. You know DeGrom's going to start. Um, yeah, it's, it's game three. So the Mets are tied 1-1 with the Dodgers. Do you want to see Bartolo Colon or Who do you want to see? Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think this is that <laughs> I don't think this is that hard, right? It's, yeah. I think it's Matt's. I think it's it's Matt's on the road in Syndergaard if it's at home. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have some votes for right. Dylan G? Right. Can we please have that person removed? <laughs> can, can we bring back Bobby Jones? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I would. I am not in favor of uh, Matt's over Cologne in this situation. I mean, Matt's. We've got like what three starts in in, uh, in the majors at this point. I mean, come on, the guy. The guy probably. Needs a little bit more. We need to see a little bit more. It's a little bit of a small sample. Well, this what point. was the last time that ha- what, what happens when Bartolo Colon doesn't pitch against the Phillies and the Braves? I mean, what happens when Bartolo Colon sees a major league lineup? And, you know, I, I think the numbers. I, I don't remember the exact numbers. It was something like four and ten with a six ERA against. It's not, not good. The, <laughs> it's not good. Take out the Phillies. Take out the Braves. And the take Marlins, out the Marlins. Yeah. And Bartolo Colon is a well below yeah. average major league starting pitcher. At yep. the very least, he is he's feast or famine. And feast or famine is something that can sort of play in 162 games because you have a decent chance for a whole lot of feasts. But you, it, it's it's a really scary prospect when you're going into into game three and you have a guy who might give up five runs in the first two innings. Like that's just not that's that's a tough that's a tough risk to take. And I like Bartolo. I like him a lot. Everyone likes Bartolo. Um, of course, <laughs> of course. But he's unplayable. But you know the next the next month is really important for Mats. Mats is fresh. Mats has been has been taking it easy for the last couple months, and and he has he has a good history. It's it's a you know it's a different environment, but in the minors he pitched in some really big games and and rose to the occasion in like hit, you know minor league playoff type games. Um, I think he took a no hitter into the seventh and inning. T- Toby playoff. Toby can talk about his performance in okay. Savannah too. But like if. If he can hold up, if he can hold up for the rest of this month, I, he seems so far to have shown the mentality that is going to perform well under that pressure. Um, and it's not to say that Bartolo crumbles under pressure because I don't think that that's the kind of player he is. Bartolo is always Bartolo, no matter what I, I, the situation. He jiggles under pressure. <laughs> um, but but it's, it's going to be hit or miss with Cologne, and that is that is a lot of risk to take on in a, in a short Look at his start. Look at his start the other night. I mean, it's you know, it's a home run here, a home run there, and all of a sudden you're down three nothing, and it gets worse from there. Yeah. Um, uh, the, and the Mats Mats thing, uh, he would, he pitched um, two consecutive clinchers in the minor leagues uh, last year in Binghamton, which up until this year was he said was the best game he'd ever thrown, and then the year before in Savannah. So, I mean, he for what it's worth, he has been very good in minor league playoffs. Yes, I know that's not the big leagues. Well, here's um, here's my I, and I know some people I've seen tweet out that oh, it's it's it's. You know, it's the sort of the third deck. You have the third deck mentality. 
as I like to say on the podcast, and there are children in the audience, so I will refer to Steven Matz as a big game pitcher. He's the guy I want in, uh, yeah, the, you can tell who the longtime listeners are. Uh, I want him on the mound in game three over Syndergaard. And not because I don't like Syndergaard stuff, I do. Uh, I just think Matz is fresher. I think he's, I like the, the lefty look. Makes, them, makes whoever they're facing, probably the Dodgers, change up their lineup a little bit. And I just think he's fresher and more able to give you. He'll give you seven innings. I just have confidence in it. So as long as we're going lefty, you'll take uh, Any, yeah, Matt, anyway. Matt, Matt's over knees? Yeah, I'll take Matt's <laughs> over knees as long as we can do a lefty. My only I, worry about Syndergaard is that I, I think he might be starting to get a little tired. I, 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 I think they all are. I think everybody's, Grom, too. I, yes. I, everybody's getting Grom a little gas. gas. And we saw it. And I've been a kind of strident on the podcast. Like, you know, don't skip guys. Put your best five out until you clinch your best six, whatever it is. But at the, I mean, this is uncharted territory for every single one of these pitchers. And even Matt Harvey, we can get into Matt Harvey if you really want to get into Matt Harvey. But Matt Harvey has never thrown 180 innings in a season. And that's, that's a, the way pitchers get ramped up now. That's a hurdle pitching deep in in colder weather. When you're going 220 and 230, yeah, maybe you're Madison Bumgarner and you can do it. But even Bumgarner... Had a few years under his belt in the majors doing that before he was pitching in October. And it's not October pressure. It's not being about a big game pitcher. It's about that's a lot of miles on an arm that has not had that many miles on the arm before. And this staff is throwing high heat at a historical rate. Um, they, have the high, they have the most pitches over 95 miles per hour of any staff in history by a hefty margin. And the season's not over yet. So if you think that it maybe tuckers you out a little extra to hit 97 98 over and over in a game then it's kind of an understandable situation that they just need a little more rest than than you know than cologne does cologne does not need extra rest can we also just uh, make mention here that uh, at least a handful of those pitches over nine sit on that uh for the rest of the season even going into 2016 that's kevin ploiecki and dilson herrera uh, guys that were mixed bags at the major league level, hit pretty well in AAA, both of them. Um, you know, guys that you know, Toby and I have discussed at length in various forums. But do you think either of them have a, as of right now, you know, given whatever may come in in the winter, have a clear role on the 2016 major league starting lineup? I think uh, Herrera is a lot closer to it than Ploiecki. Uh, Ploiecki has no role in, as a major league starter in with the Mets having Travis Darno around. Um, there's really uh, – the list of things that, that Kevin Pilecki does better than Travis Darno is extremely short, um, and none of them really matter for baseball players, I think. Um, Herrera, I still think, could be the Mets opening day second baseman in 2016, depending on what happens this winter. Um, I'm not sold that Murphy's coming back. Um, so uh, I think he could – I don't know if, you, if he can earn a job in the next couple weeks if he's going to get enough playing time, but – uh, I think Herrera is a lot closer to a, to a Mets job than than Ploiecki is. Yeah, well, Ploiecki is probably going to make the 2016 roster as a backup. I would imagine, right? I mean, but, the, what are they going to do? Send him to AAA and give him a little bit more development. But here's time? the thing about backups, and and this this might be the wrong way to think about it, but you sort of want a guy who does something well as opposed to a guy who's like not not very good at a bunch of things. Right? If you're doing tools, the sort of guy who's got some major league tools who's a five or a six in one area, five is average, six is above average, who's a five or a six in one area, and maybe a three somewhere else, because you know what he can do, you know how to use him. If you get a guy who's maybe Pilecki is this guy who's sort of fours across the board, below average, 
how do you use him just to spot the receiver, right? Right. Yeah, fine. He's not bad, <laughs> but but he's, he's a better receiver than record. Let's put it that way. Right. Okay. Fine. He's a better receiver than record. Um, <laughs> but you know he he's not a really good defender because you can run on him, and he doesn't really have power, and he didn't really hit for average, and he's an aggressive hitter. He doesn't really get on base. So. And that combined with the arm liabilities, what does he do? How do you sp- how do you use him in the lineup as a backup? Wrecker, at least you put him in. You hope he yeah, you get a little dong every once in a while, right? <laughs> you, yeah, you, right. Um, so you know you hope for a home run every what ten starts from Wrecker or something. So yeah, maybe uh, four or five times a year. Right, usually, right. They're usually uh, they're, they're usually important home runs. <laughs> we can all dream. Yeah. Well, the thing about Kulecki, I I think it all comes down to whether you think his bat is going to project out. Um, is we, if you look at um, what Travis Darno did with as many major league at bats as Pulecki has had, uh, Travis Darno was was a disaster. Pulecki's start, as slow as it has been, is actually much better than Darno's start. Now that is not to say that we should look to Travis Darno for any kind of idea of what Pulecki's going to do, because Travis Darno was rated better from the beginning, and Travis Darno is like a best case scenario kind of situation because underrated hero of the second half he has been fantastic um but to me so first there's the question of how much better is Kwecki gonna get I think it's probably safe to say he's gonna get somewhat better um particularly on the bat because they're always focusing on on the catching skills first at this level and that's fine they should especially with a staff that that's this important to the team but to me besides that what I'm what I want to know when it comes to where Kalecki's going to fit in is what are, are they going to keep Darno as a full-time catcher? And I think they probably are, but you know, he's he's been injured. His bat is super important. There may be other spots on the field that they want to give him one or two starts at a week, whether that's left field, probably not because Conforto has broken out. Maybe maybe they they use him in a kind of a platoon role at first for a while, um, you know, with Duda, and then if you're looking at three starts a week from your backup catcher, like two to three starts instead of one or two, then it starts to make a little bit more sense to have someone like Kowecki, who's not you know Anthony Recker out there. So to me, those are kind of the two questions I want to know. Like, does the team see Kowecki becoming like a starting caliber? hitting catcher and does the team plan to keep Darno full-time at catcher if they plan to keep Darno full-time at catcher then they should be shopping Kulecki in the offseason no matter what that's reasonable and I think you hit on a good point where it's you know Kulecki can't he didn't hit what it comes down to and there's a lot of other things that go on that a uh, young catcher even one that had caught a lot of the staff has to work on before he works on his hitting and we saw it with Travis Darno but again if they put Darno on the Buster Posey plan, which they might want to consider because his injury history is certainly longer than Posey's, and a lot of it are freak things, but at a certain point, health is sort of the sixth tool here, and he hasn't stayed healthy. He hasn't recovered quickly from injuries either, which might be more damning than sort of the freak nature of the injuries themselves. You know, at that point, you think he's a three-day-a-week catcher. You're pretty sure the bat's going to get there, and look, I like the bat. I think he'll hit, and the bar for catcher, catcher hitting is so low at this point. If he hits... 270 with 10 home runs it's a starting catcher for most teams even if you're a fringe average defender and i think he'll get there eventually and he's there 
are they are they really going to go out and get a you know five million dollar a year backup either is the other thing and there's nobody else in the system let's be clear the second best catching prospect in the system is a 17 year old in the gulf coast league who's really good by the way but <laughs> i don't think you're going to put him in the majors next year i do want to talk a little bit about herrera um do you think as of what you've seen right now would you be confident just going into 2016 season just penciling him in opening day second baseman batting seventh or whatever And a follow-up, would you take him at this moment in time for your 2016 starter over Flores? Yeah, I think you My main man, Wilmer Flores. <laughs> he had to come up eventually. Oh, yeah. Future playoff hero. Future playoff hero, Wilmer Flores. You can bank on it. Well, depends depends what kind of offense you're getting from the outfield, right? If yeah. if you're gonna if you're gonna spend the money and bring back Suspedes or upgrade the outfield so you're not trying to run out Conforto, you can probably fade Dilson Herrera batting seventh and take that risk. Put the young guy out there. Um, I think I'd like that. I, I don't, you know, I mean, or, or will the Mets sign Murphy on a two-year deal? I mean, can you get Murphy on a two-year deal? No, right? Do you want to commit to Daniel Murphy for four years, five years, six years? I don't think he's not right. getting six years. Right. Yeah, three, Greg, I should right, say so that Mur- Greg, Murphy Greg three years at 35 million? signing Daniel Murphy. Right. An, an under-market deal for two years to be here, it's Daniel Murphy. I mean, I'm not saying it's likely, but like if it's, if anyone's doing it, it's him because he's made that pretty clear that he wants to stick around. I mean, well, there's a, there, and there's a price at which that makes sense. Yeah, certainly. What, 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 so, I mean, there's a price at which, you know, Murphy at two years, 20 million. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. I do that in a heartbeat. Also, two, Murphy, Murphy at two years at, at 30. With, with Murphy, you know, I mean, not, uh, with the uncertainty, with I'm asking. back. You know, he can play third base as yeah. well. He'd be a nice guy to have some versatility in the infield. Whereas Herrera is pretty limited to second. Yeah, he doesn't have the arm for it, right? Right. Yeah, you can't put Herrera on the left side of the diamond. And you can't put him in, yeah, in short either. Right, he's second base only, which is going to be an issue. I mean, that, that's position you can play him at. And, the, you know, they have no shortage of second baseman under contract, even ignoring Daniel Murphy. You know, if they bring back Juan Uribe, which I think if you look at, I think is actually fairly likely all in all, he's looked pretty good at second too. Maybe you move him into a, a more of a platoon role with Murph, which is something they should probably be doing right now. But And the beat writers might chip in and pay half his salary because he's that good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll say I, I like Herrera, and I sat here. I, I was going to say I sat here, but I didn't sit here. I sat at BB Kings in January, and, and Buster only said that Herrera could be an all-star second baseman someday. So, you know, that's the ceiling is there. Maybe not all-star. I'm surrounded by guys who've watched him play a lot, but um, he has a lot of potential. But he is still so young. He's 21. And, but that's the thing it's about easy right. to forget because he was because he was here last year, and it's it's easy to think, oh, if he was here last year, then he must be ready now, or maybe he'll be ready next year. But the thing is, he could be not ready at the beginning of next year, and that would be a completely like normal thing. It wouldn't be a bad sign. It would be a normal sign of a 21-year-old second baseman still filling out still adjusting he's had you know what a hundred ab's at triple or no i guess he's been at triple a all year so he's had a couple hundred triple he's been hurt a little bit too but yeah. yeah so i think um i would i'm high on him personally and i say that as like a non-prospect expert but i also feel like that's a big risk for a team that you know, we're losing some pieces next year. Maybe it's Murphy. Maybe it's Cespedes. Um, you know, we're certainly losing Cologne. But um, but I think that's a that's a big 
poll to to put out there, and there would definitely have to be other complementary pieces uh, around if that's something that that the team is going to go uh, ahead with. One more on Herrera. I think one of the things he really struggled with was was big league pitch, pitchers and big league pitch sequencing. And fastballs big, at his throat. Right. So, you know, the sort of the undisciplinedness in the minors, he's a good enough athlete to overcome that. He can rely on bat speed. And it's the kind of thing that you would think will get better as he gets from 21 to 22 and 23. Um, now, of course, not everybody does that, right? What Conforto has done in terms of learning pitch, pitch sequences, Jeff talked about, is unusual, but it's the kind of thing that he should be able to work on. The underlying ability is there. Standing on my, my cord. No, I'm just caught. All right, it's fine. So this is normally the part of the show where we take emails. I have no emails. I do on my phone. The, the people keep emailing me, but I'm not going to answer the emails in front of you. So what we will do is we'll open it up for a little Q&A. It can be Mets prospect related. We've got a few prospect experts up here. It can be general Mets related. It can be whatever. Just uh, don't ask soccer and pro wrestling questions. Kids in the hall. The are. Kids in the hall if you want to. So, uh, yeah, just show of hands. I'll just repeat the question for purposes of oh, are we going to – they can just come on, come on up. Okay, they can just come on up. Come on up. Come on, come on. Not to add too much. How's it going, guys? Hey. So I was wondering what your idea would be for when Wheeler eventually makes his comeback uh, at some point next year. Um, what do you think the plan would be going forward at least to the point where he actually comes back? So I think you have to assume there'll be a little more. Cons- they'll keep him something on closer to the Harvey plan where they're going to look. He had the surgery in March-ish, we'll say. I don't think you'll see him in rehab games until 14 months out, which would put you middle of May around Memorial Day. And they'll wrap him up slowly like they did with Harvey. So in or around the uh, All-Star break next year is when you'll see him. And, look, there'll probably be a spot available by then because somebody will be hurt. Somebody else that's not Zach Wheeler. They'll have a spot in the rotation. There's not a ton of pitching depth right now. Um, They're going to go into next season with basically five starters under contract, Um, barring any potential Matt Harvey trade, which you can all ask Mark Carrig about later in the show. (laughs) Um, So it's it's very clear. It's Harvey, DeGrom, Nice, Mats, and Syndergaard are probably your starting five going into spring training. You assume they'll bring in some sort of John Lannon, Daisuke Matsuzaka equivalent that can be the first guy up or take starts in AAA. You know, Logan Verrett might be pitching his way into the first guy up as a starter after an injury issue. Past that, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Matt Bowman, Gabriel Yanoa, Robert Gazelman, getting warmer, Kobe. You know. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I think I think the Mets might spend on a on the n- next Bartolo. There will be no next Bartolo, but is this mic on? Kinda. That yeah. one's a little soft. Yeah, I don't I don't know that there is a next Bartolo Colon, but I, I do think the Mets might spend on a, a slightly better version of John Lennon. Um, right? I mean, because like, what he's striking out Giovanni Gallardo or something. Excited about that? Very exciting. I'm a, I'm a guy, I'm a Gallardo fan. I saw him in the minors multiple times. Anyway. Yeah, there's, there's almost there's almost no upper minors pitching depth, and, and they traded Michael Fulmer, obviously, and this is Betis deal, a deal that I think everyone would, in this room would do again. Not Keith Law, though, by the way. No, it's, <laughs> it's not, we could spend an hour on that. But, um, 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, Casey Meisner traded as well. So, yeah, not a ton of upper minors depth. So I do think there will be a free agent acquisition along the way. They also have Verrett. I said Verrett. I like Verrett. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he might take – Zach Wheeler is healthy, and they think he's healthy. He will pitch is what it comes down to. A nice thing about bringing him up in the All-Star break is that pitch count – is that innings counts is a non is a non-issue because he's not pitching anywhere near a full season. He'll get – if he's coming up in the All-Star break, let's be optimistic, he'll pitch 100 innings. Probably I mean, not even. Probably not 75 even. to 80. 100 innings, including, including – Including the playoffs, right? Yeah, sorry, of course, yeah. <laughs> I got ahead of myself, sorry. So all this drama, all of this off-field, like, chitter-chatter is going to be, is not going to happen with Wheeler, and that is, I think that's going to be good for everybody, especially Wheeler, because he seems like a delicate soul. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we have another question. Do you want, do you want to, do you want to do, the, like, the upper minor pitching depth? Do you want to talk about Gazelman? No, I don't. We're just going to the next question, Toby. Hi, guys. I, I wanted to know what you guys thought about what they'll eventually do with Rosario versus Cicchini. Uh, yeah, cons- there we go. That's a great question. You know how fast they've been progressing Rosario compared to what was originally thought, and how well Chikini's been uh, hitting this year in Binghamton. So. I might be Gavin Chikini's biggest fan. No, you're sitting on a panel with Greg Karam, so you're not. Unfortunately, you don't know Gavin Chikini is the first round pick uh, the year after Nimmo, uh, so that's 2012. Um, and Ahmed Rosario was, was their Mets big international signing in uh, the year before. Um, Cicchini hit very well in double A this year, and Rosario hit okay in advanced day. So this is a he was the youngest about, player in the league. What he was mm-hmm. the youngest right. So this is a question about a non-problem. It's potential future shortstops. The Mets hope. Um, look, I think Gavin Cicchini's a big leaguer. Is the sh- is the um, I don't know that he's a good one, but I think he's a big leaguer. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, that's an important distinction, right? Um, you know, Ruben Tejada is playing in the big leagues. Um, you know, there are lots of guys who play in the big leagues who aren't good at it. Now, that, that's not to say they're not good at baseball. They're great. They're in the top 300 in the world. We should all be so lucky to be in the top 300 in the world at anything we do. Half of them are below average. Right. That's exactly right. So I think Chikini's a, a big leaguer. Um, Rosario, I've... I'm just not sold on yet, although I've had scouts tell me he's the best prospect in the Mets system. The Mets also think he's the best prospect in the Mets system by a fair amount. But it's weird. He's a weird guy. And, he is. And you saw him more than I did this year. So when you think about I saw him coaching first base. who was hurt the entire time I was in St. Lucie. So. Right. When you think about things that make shortstops great, is he, he going to be a great defender? No, the the reports getting, I'm getting this year is that he's a really good defensive much shortstop. Better. He moved much better this year than last year, the little bit I saw. Um but he's, is he, so, so just playing shortstop and hitting at a below average level, below average overall, makes you an above average shortstop is the weird thing about the position, right? Feeling the, doing that is hard. Um, so, that, so is that your best case scenario for him is that he's, I don't know what the, what the major league comparison is. I used Brandon Crawford before Brandon Crawford got good. Yeah, yeah, but he was awesome, right? Brandon Crawford all of a sudden is hitting 20 home runs. Yeah, before Brandon Crawford got good. It's like a, that's like a st- yeah, but Crawford was it? Crawford yeah, got there on his glove. Yeah, and I I think Rosario from the gains he's made year over year, I would think uh, he's he got can, a shot if he there. He can play Crawford defense. He's a big leaguer too. Right, I think he'll. I think he's got a better chance of getting there than he does getting the bat getting there. Yep. All right. But um, but bad. but I, but, I, but I will say I will say that Rosario does impressive things. He goes the other way very well for a young player, um, and he has very good hand eye and sort of wrist 
and, and feel for the barrel a, a little bit like Flores. Um, not different in type, different in a lot of respects, but just, just sort of really good hand-eye. He, he has a really weird trigger, all that stuff, but it's cleaned up and it's gotten better. So the answer is, what do they do with it? What do the Mets do with it? Nothing for now, right? Next year, Cicchini plays at AAA, and Rosario probably plays at AA, where he'll be, again, the, the youngest, youngest player, player in the league. league. <laughs> and the youngest AA shortstop since Francisco Lindor. In, yeah, in and he is not Francisco Lindor. Right, right. No, no, I'm not saying he is. No, but I know he may be. He might be. I have to look it up, but he might be younger than Lindor was, uh, was it two years ago? It's very close. It's going to be close, yeah. Um, right, so that alone is, is, a, is a mark in his favor. Um, and these problems sort themselves out. The better one will play, and the neither should be expected to help early next year, if at all. This is really a, a situation for two years out. And that's the thing about prospects, right? It's all sometime out. All right, we'll take one more question. Hey, guys, how's it going? Um, my question, I think Toby will probably be happy to hear this from before. Um, we've seen a ton of impact pitchers come out of the system in the past couple of years. I mean, produce the entire rotation right now, and then Wheeler on the mend coming back hopefully next year. Is there that kind of guy left in the system after all the graduations, all the trades? And I guess if so, slash if not, who, I guess, should we be paying attention to coming up over the next year or two? The answer to the first part of your question is no. <laughs> Um, so I, I've discussed this before on the pod. Uh, one of the guys I have in the top five pitching prospects in the system right now pitched to a five ERA in Kingsport. And I'm, I'm not joking. I really like him. He pitched to a five ERA in Kingsport. That's, that's <laughs> not good. <laughs> that's not good. It's also in Tennessee. Their Appy League affiliate, his name is Harold Gonzalez. He looks like a tiny Pedro Martinez Jr. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, the list, the list of upper-level pitching. It's Robert Gazelman. If you like Robert Gazelman, and there are people that like him, it's, you know, it's 89 and 92, uh, 22. Yeah. yeah, hard sink down in the zone, heavy fastball, can pitch off it, good command, um, nice curveball, developing changeup. Yeah, it's a four-starter. That's great. That's great. That's awesome. You're, all right, all right. That's not Stephen Matz. Allow me. And I don't, have the, I don't have a stat sheet in front of me. 49 strikeouts. Oh yeah, it was it was not good. It was not good. Batters faced. It was he's under, not. Right, it was under 14 percent. He's not throwing his curveball a lot in Double A. I will say that. Major league average is, is 20 is now, 20%. really. So you have to engage in a pretty big leap to get me to Gazelle as your major beer. league starter with a with a sub 14 percent strikeout rate. Um, not saying he can't do it. Degrom is a guy. Grom was working on stuff. All are we com are we gonna compliment and Jacob Degrom, Toby? No. We dive out. All the way through, Degrom was working on stuff, and, and the strikeout rate bounced around. But if you're gonna tell me that Gazelle's a major league starter, you at least have to explain away. He's not. Uh, they have him specifically not throwing his curveball right now. Which is a shame because it's good. It's an, it's, an, it's it's going to be his out pitch if right. it gets there. The changeup the changeup's already pretty good. The changeup's already sort of major league-ish. He yeah. needs to throw that curveball yep. a lot more in games, it's and has for years. It's a very easy delivery. Uh, yeah. If he needed yeah, to like add it. a couple miles an hour, maybe if he ramped up the effort in the delivery, it's, I'm sure it's possible. He was more 90 to 94 when I saw him in uh, Brooklyn, so it's certainly possible. It's in there. Yeah, he's touching 93 yeah. in her last start. So I mean, there, there's some velocity. He cruises at 92, yeah. 90 to 92. Yeah. He's a great you, athlete. Can I, my, can I give you my, my name that, that I'm a sucker for? You gave me Gonzalez. Uh, Chris Flexen. 
Um, came off of Tommy John surgery and bone spurs. Uh, had the surgery last July. Came back to Savannah and he was he was getting it up to 94, 95. Um, he throws this awful slutter. It's a it's a I didn't say, it's a combination. Of it's it's a slayer. In case you were wondering, it's a technical term. Um, it's got to stop. Uh, he, but he has feel for a curveball and he has a little sink on the changeup. It might never work, um, but at least the arm is there, and I think he's probably the best arm in the system that pitched in full season ball that's still a Met farmhand. Um, in the absence of Michael Fulmer and, and Casey Meisner and Marcos Molina, who's... Uh, careful. So, well, but... It, but, but <laughs> right, so, anyway, if you want names to watch deep in the minor league system, Chris Flexion should start next year in advanced A. St. Louis. All right, I said we take one more question, but it's like when we get an email while I'm recording the podcast, so we'll take one more question. So Wearing my an expo shirt, no less weird. And I'm a Yankee fan, so I'm in the right place. Uh, my question is, how does this upcoming series against the Yankees impact the Mets' confidence going into the playoffs, whether they sweep or take two or three or lose two or three? How does that impact their confidence going into the playoffs because it is the Yankees? I mean, confidence matters, um, but at the same time, they're coming into this with a really um, with a really big cushion, and that's important. Uh, so they, if they go out there and they get swept, and the Nats go out and they sweep, then they're coming out of this this series with a three-game lead, which is narrower than all of us want. But at the same time, it's it's a it's a lot of breathing room relative to what most teams around the league have right now. Um, I think. Uh, we're all a little bit uh, psychologically traumatized by 2007. Um, I have I, to say my... Uh, I recommend um, drugs for everybody. Like, even the children. But <laughs> <laughs> I, meant, like, I meant like legal drugs. Oh, okay. Sorry. Come on, man. Like, like, yeah. like Xanax. Everyone like that. <laughs> The ninety-eight point seven percent playoff odds. It's a it's a nice thing, um, but you know it, you don't want to go into any series, let alone one with you know a geographical rival um, at the end of the season, and you know you you just don't want to get swept. Um, I don't think that's going to happen because the team has has played very well at home and they've played very well with big crowds. Um, I think with all the talk about confidence. Um, all the evidence points to this team really feeding off of a crowd's energy, and they are going to have probably the crowd of a lifetime um, over the next three days. So I, I think it would be a blow. I don't think it would be a fatal blow or even a near fatal blow if if the season went south. But I think um, they're primed for not not the season, the series to go south. That's a big difference. Um, but I think they're primed for that to not. I will say that uh, the one thing I do want to take from this series, I want to see Syndergaard, Mats, and Harvey against a playoff-quality lineup. I know it's a one-game sample size for each of them, but I just want to see how they respond. I want to see how this stuff looks against better hitters that aren't whatever the Phillies have been rolling out lately. Cody Ashey <laughs> and the Braves. The Braves might be worse. Um, I just want to see. I, you know, I don't worry about the results. I worry about the results every day. I, my time hop showed up today on 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 my phone that was eight years ago or seven years ago. Like Brandon Knight was starting a game in 2008 in a playoff race, and I'm just like, oh, that's a nice reminder while this is all going on. <laughs> but uh, what I want to see, I just want to see Matt, Syndergaard, Harvey. I want to see them take the ball. I want to see them pitch. 
however many innings Matt Harvey pitches and however many innings Matt's instead of both all two innings that he pitches and uh, I just want to see what learn a lot in those 25 pitches. I just want to see what it looks like I think the, the the series is more important for the fan base than it is for the actual team I think they're a confident bunch I think they're loose you know especially with the in there and uh, I think that um, another writer for our site he said that the Mets fan base has a you know PTSD from uh, 2007 2008 and I think that's really accurate because I mean even if you if you just if you just look at the the, the back page of the Newsday today it was or, you know like panic was seven and a half game lead with 19 to play it's like I mean let's let's all relax this is a totally different team than it was in those years we had, there's a much better offense here the, the pitching is much better than it was in those games you know we don't and have on Omar bullpen yeah yeah. Exactly. So I, I'm not concerned. I think that, you know, I don't want to get swept, but I don't think that that's going to happen either. You know, and we've seen this team's been up and down all year. They'll lose two out of three to the Marlins. They'll run off eight straight. They'll lose two out of three to the Marlins. What are they going to do next? I don't know. But I'll leave you with this since we've been getting the wrap-up signal for a while now. Um, <laughs> I think sort of, the, sort of the PTSD, the Mets trauma, this series is more important for the Mets fan base. Um, what happens from here on out, is, I think, is more important to the Mets fan base. It's a completely different group of players. You know, David Wright's really the only holdover from 2007. I think Nice, Parnell, and maybe Murph were all up at the end of 2008. 2008 was, that doesn't even count. Um, so they're roughly, what are they, seven and a half up with 16 and a half to play, essentially. That's close enough. We'll round it to seven. They're seven up with 17 to play. We can say it out loud. It's okay. Yeah, up with 17 to play. Go out and win the division. Beat the Cardinals in Game Seven of the NLCS. If you want to exercise the demons, it's not about you know it's not about the it's all story with the Red Sox having to win the World Series the way they did coming back from three no oh against the Yankees. It wasn't about the Red Sox having to do that, but the Red Sox fans getting to watch that. So if the Mets fans get to watch them sweep the Yankees this weekend hold an actual division lead, go into the playoffs against the Dodgers, who they have some bad memories of for the older people in the crowd, and for six-year-old me, whose father was a Dodgers fan he didn't talk to for the two weeks after that, and see the Cardinals in the NLCS. Well, you know what? Bring them on. Bring on the Cardinals in the NLCS, or whoever. I don't care. Um, it, it's not about what the team's going to do, what the team's going to do. These are professionals. This is a good baseball team right now. But for the Mets fan base to watch them do that, to actually hold the division lead, to beat an NLCS game seven, what does he say, pass ball by uh, Yadier Molina, walk off pass ball against Yadier Molina <laughs> in game seven, it's going to be great for us. And whatever happens the next month, enjoy it. We've earned it. Thank you.